Good to see you. Yes, I don't have PowerPoint tonight, so we don't need that, but uh, it's great to be able to have that for the singing of our choruses. Welcome back. Tonight we are in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, We will be continuing what we had been doing in the morning, but now in the evening. And this is a good and helpful switch for a number of reasons. Uh, I was thankful to be able to do that series that we're doing in the morning. And also, uh, we're in a portion of Matthew that really lends itself to handouts. Uh, It's a rather difficult portion of Scripture, and uh, I think it's going to be better taught in this kind of setting than preached in a Sunday morning service. So I trust that that will be of help to you. If you remember where we've left off in the study of Matthew, uh, Jesus had left the temple and told the leaders of the temple that it was going to be destroyed as a declaration of God's uh, dissatisfaction with the temple. And of course, because something greater was going to replace that, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was going to be no more sacrifice, etc., etc. So tonight, we begin what is uh, referred to as the prophetic portion of the book of Matthew, starting with Matthew chapter 24. And I say there is a great value in studying the prophecies of the end time. But what is that, that value? The importance of studying prophecy is so that we will not be led astray by following false prophets and false individuals who claim to be Christ. That is, in passage after passage, the emphasis that is given concerning the prophetic sections. Not to be deceived by false prophets and false Christs returning concerning Christ's return. Their value is not in trying to figure out the date of Christ's return. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. I don't know how that could be said more clearly. But yet... We find, time after time, people who declare that they have figured it out. And they know when the Lord is going to return. I remember a number of years ago, I was at Pinebrook. And there was a new book out that was talking about when the Lord would return. And a date was set. And it was kind of the rage. And a person that was at Pinebrook, but not a one of our church members, came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Reed, have you read this book? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, why, why haven't you? And I said, because I think it's worthless. And he looked at me and said, well, how can you say that without reading it? And I said, because I know the Bible says that no one can predict the time that it's going to come. So I'm not going to bother to read this man and try to figure out where his error is. Okay, I just know that it's not of a value. But There is that temptation that's associated with trying to figure it all out. And so I begin with this plea. There needs to be a great deal of humility in approaching the prophetic portions of Scripture. 
Can't emphasize that enough. The prophetic portions of Scripture are very, very difficult to in, interpret. It's, it's tough to take all these different passages and to synthesize them because the passages many times do not include all of the events that are taking place. So the question is, how do you put these passages together? And people put them together in very different ways. I just say to you that the Jewish community, by and large, blew it when it came to Christ's first coming. They were able to say he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But then they had problems with understanding why he was in Galilee. There were all these prophetic statements concerning the coming of Christ. And of course, the Pharisees, the the Jewish leaders, uh, they did not believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. Read Isaiah 53, did not see what it contained the way that we understand what Isaiah 53 contains. Hindsight is always 2020. Looking forward, that's a whole other story. And so I just use that as an example. When you think of all the Jewish scholars, and as they looked at the first coming, and how they got a lot of it wrong, I'm just saying to you, I think that as we have scholars today looking at the Lord's return, we probably have a lot of it wrong. So we've got to be careful. I had the privilege when I was... uh, First, a student at uh, biblical seminary some 35, 40 years ago, uh, Dr. Alan McRae was then the uh, president of biblical seminary, and Dr. McRae at that point was just under 80 years of age. Uh, He was an Old Testament scholar, and uh, he spent a lot of his years in looking at the prophetic portions of Scripture. He's written books. Uh, for those of you uh, familiar with the New Schofield Bible, he's the one who did all the notes in the book of Daniel in the New Schofield Bible. That's Dr. Alan McRae. Well, uh, I was privileged uh, when uh, I went to biblical. Uh, they would have days of prayer uh, set aside for the student body to pray together. We had chapel every day. And uh, there would be times, as I say, of day of prayer throughout semester each year. And when you came in, you were hooked up with a partner, and you kept that partner all the way through seminary. Well, the faculty participated in that as well, and it just so happened that when I came in as a freshman, I was assigned Dr. McRae. He was my prayer partner for all my time through biblical seminary, and it was a great privilege uh, to be able to pray with him and uh, just talk with him and uh, pick his mind and, and so on. But he, would, he told me a story that uh, kind of epitomizes um, Dr. McRae and also biblical seminary in his, in his era. Uh, he was fanatical about staying true to the scriptures, not going farther than what the scripture tells you. Uh, he had a real problem with speculating about what the Bible says. What the Bible says, you say. 
what the Bible is silent on, you be silent on. Now, one of the ways that that was shown was the way in which they used to grade when I was at uh, Biblical, and that was that uh, if you answered a question on a test and you were wrong, you got deducted points for uh, not having the right answer, and then you were deducted more points for having the wrong answer. You were better off by, if you were uncertain, not answering the question. And it was intended to drive home this idea, don't speak about something you don't know. Better to be silent than to say the wrong thing. And so Dr. McRae was a pretty well-known prophecy conference speaker. And they would have him come, and, and he would sp- speak on prophetic portions of the Word of God. But sometimes, uh, people would get a little frustrated with him, because uh, he would have question-answer time, and they wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't answer the question. He, he wouldn't speculate. And uh, on one occasion, there was a woman that asked him a question after a presentation, and he said, uh, I don't know. And she asked him another question. And he said, I don't know that either. And then another question. And he said, I don't know. She asked four questions in a row, each of which said, I don't know. Then she was frustrated. And she said, well, the speaker we had last year answered all four of those questions. He said, then you should have written it down. (laughs) Uh, The point was, it was unsatisfying. She knew that that man didn't know. She wanted to hear what Dr. McRae's opinion was on that. And that wouldn't have been satisfactory. It could have been speculation. He refused to speculate. Um, I think that's very wise. I think that is very helpful. It's also frustrating to individuals, to be sure. But uh, I'm going to try to resist Speculation. I'm, I'm going to try to stick to what is relatively clear, and even at that point, recognizing what is relatively clear uh, is not completely clear. So we have to be very careful. Moving on. The occasion for Christ concerning his return and the end of the age was his teaching regarding the destruction of the temple. In Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This temple that you are looking at is going to be destroyed. The disciples, having heard that the temple would be destroyed, had a question or questions for Jesus. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. How are we to understand the disciples' question? Were they asking about one event, two events, or three events? As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. 
And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So what are the three events? The destruction of the temple, Christ coming, the end of the age. The next question is, all these events are closely connected. But how closely connected are they in time? All right. So they are connected in the sense that they impinge upon each other, right? There is a chronology that is unfolding here for us, okay? There are three things that they are interested in. First is the destruction of the temple. Second is Christ's coming. The third is the end of the age. Now, we can say that those three things are going to occur and they're going to occur in that order. There's going to be a destruction of the temple, Christ is going to return, and there's going to be the end of the age. Now, let me also just back up here and um, introduce an important thought to you, and that is, as we look at this passage, you know, people want to look at you know, pre-trib rapture and mid-tribulational rapture and post-tribulational rapture. But when I use the Lord term, the Lord's return, I'm using that in the way in which no matter what of those views you hold, everyone agrees, okay? Because those that think that there's a pre-tribulational rapture don't talk about it in terms of the Lord's return. They talk about it in terms of the, of the Lord's coming. It's a different word. So just for your benefit, that doesn't really enter into this discussion tonight. Okay, so moving on. The significance, purpose, or aim of Jesus' response was to keep his disciples from being led astray by false Christs and false prophets that arise in association with these events. Key verse. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. The need. Many people will come declaring that they are the Christ. Matthew 24, 5. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. The result, many will be led away to follow these false Christs, and they will be led astray. The disciples understand and believe that Jesus is the true Christ. Verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your Coming. You're coming. Okay. It's not the word for rapture there. It's the word for return. What is the time sign of your return and the end of the age? What is that sign? Jesus is concerned that they would not be led astray by Someone standing up saying that they are the Christ. And it won't be him. Okay? This is all about identifying the true Jesus when he returns. Number one. As I said, before the end of the age, many false Christs will have appeared. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And the result is they're going to lead many people astray. Before the end of the age, there'll be numerous wars. 
And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. This first section, verses 4 to 14, are telling us of characteristics of the end of the age, but the end isn't here yet. The reason for this is so that we would understand that down through the ages, as you look at these characteristics, you can always see them in the period of time in which you are living. As we look at these characteristics okay, of what is taking place, it is to keep us on guard that there are going to be people that are going to rise up and say they are the Christ and point to these characteristics. For example, these numerous wars. There is a connection between war and the destruction of the temple. Daniel 9.24 Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, <coughs> there shall be 70 weeks. Now without going into a whole lot of detail here, <coughs> when, when we look at the scripture, and this term, 70 weeks, literally in the Hebrew, it is 70 sevens. 70 sevens, which has been translated as weeks because there are seven days in a week. Seventy sevens. Okay? It is virtually universally agreed that these seventy sevens are years, not days. Okay? These are years. And it's pretty universally agreed that this is talking about the time from the declaration of Cyrus to have uh, the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem until the time in which the Messiah is cut off or crucified. Pretty much unanimity there. Know therefore and understand that from going out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who has come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So this temple, this sanctuary is going to be destroyed. You can understand why then the disciples say, well, if this temple is going to be destroyed, when's that going to happen? When are you going to return? When's the end of the age? Because they understand all of these events to hinge upon each other. B, that is why when Jesus speaks of the destruction of the temple in verses 1 and 2, the disciples raise the question concerning Christ's return and the destruction of the temple. I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. C, this was preparatory 
for and relevant to to the temple's destruction and the overthrow of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That is the first historical event that had just catastrophical impact on the church, the people of God. Okay, Just imagine if you were alive at that time. Remember, Christ died in 30 AD. So we're talking about just 40 years later, the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is sacked. Okay, This huge war took place. You can see why many people would have said, this is it. Christ is returning. It's the end of the age. And when you look down through history, it was a time in which false prophets and false Christ just abounded. People declaring themselves to be the Messiah. D. Significant wars have raised questions throughout the ages as to whether or not this is the time of Christ's coming. This was especially true in our history with the coming of World Wars I and II. Prophecy conferences were the rage. I just mentioned uh, Alan McRae regularly speaking at prophecy conferences. That, in that era, that was huge. Everybody was trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. And, you know, the, the prime uh, people in that era were the Pope. Uh, it was uh, Mussolini. Obviously, Hitler, when we started looking at World War II. And, you know, this was significant because this was the first time in history that really the, the whole world was at war. There were skirmishes here and there, but, but, you know, think of a time in history when all the nations were rising up and destroyed. Then you think of what was happening to the Jewish people in... Uh, Germany. You think of the persecution. You, you, when was there a period of time that there was such an annihilation of the Jewish people than during the period of World War II? And then guess what happens? Israel's given national status. And for generations, when they were without a nation, the nation Israel comes into existence again. I'll tell you, you know, the prophecy conferences and people just went crazy with all of these things. And I'm saying to you, you can understand why. There have always been false Christ, people who claim that they are Christ. In our era, my era. Some of you are too young for this. But how many can remember Reverend Sung Young Moon? Okay? He said he was the Christ. Okay, the flower children and all the Moonies and the people that followed uh, Sung Young Moon. He said he was Christ incarnate. Jim Jones. Remember that name? Okay, and the people that followed him and the Guiana and Drinking the lemon, uh, uh, the uh, Kool Aid, and of course going to their death. He said he was the Messiah. He said that he was Christ incarnate. There have always been, and the purpose of these passages is to say, don't 
be taken in by these false prophets and false Christs. Don't be duped in thinking that they are the Christ. Before the end comes, there will be natural catastrophes. Verse 7. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. This is just the beginning of the end. Matthew 24, 8. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. As I say, there are a number of passages that you have to synthesize in the Scripture because there are, there are themes that come up repeatedly as you look at the um, prophetic portions of Scripture. Okay? The themes that come up repeatedly are birth pains, trumpets, coming like a thief, and others. Those recurring phrases. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, it says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Okay? Uh, those labor pains come on suddenly, but they don't appear out of nowhere. Most pregnant women know they're pregnant. Most pregnant women know that they're getting bigger. Now, I've seen some shows on TV where women are surprised that they're pregnant and give birth and thought they had indigestion or something, but that's pretty rare. Okay, that's, that's not your norm. Four, before the end of the age, there'll be persecution. Christ's followers will experience affliction. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation. <clears throat> Christ's followers will experience death and put to death. Christ's followers will experience persecution throughout the world, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So as you look about this statement, again, it's to reiterate that down through the ages, you can see these characteristics but the end is not yet, is the, is the idea. You can see these elements. Look around you. Are there places in the world today where there is persecution? Are there places where people are dying for their faith? Are there places where there is hatred of Christians? Yes, and as, as you look... You can say, oh, 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 here, here we are. We're, we're right here. Okay. It's the problem of reading your newspaper and then trying to put this into the prophetic timeline and saying, okay, I see this, I see that, this is what the scripture says, therefore, this is where we're at. The reality is, you, in any generation, you can see that these things are present. Now, there's also great value in this, especially in the American church. Just, the American church has some problems because we've had it so good for so long. One of them, as I said, this whole thing about being so self-centered in our understanding of the gospel and God's working in our life. The other is, when we start looking at prophetic portions of scripture, there is a tendency 
to speak in such terms as if you are faithful, you are going to be able to um, escape persecution. Let me just reiterate what the scripture says. Those who are godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Not escape it, but suffer it. Persecution is a situation that the church has gone through down through the ages. Because we have been a blessed people, and our forefathers that were Christians came to this world in order to escape persecution. The pilgrims were coming in order to escape persecution. They went from Europe to Holland, from Holland to the United States in order to try to escape from persecution. What seems to be unique about the end of the age is the statement that you'll be hated by all nations. Persecution, there's always been pockets of persecution. But it appears that, you know, in this last end time kind of situation, that the the persecution is going to be very, very widespread, and it's going to be very difficult to find any place to escape it. Right now there's persecution going on, but not here. But it looks like in the uh, very end of the end days that that persecution is going to be very widespread. But even having said that, remember there was a world war. There might even be worldwide persecution. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, bang, that means Christ returns and that's the end of the age. Number five, before the end of the age, many professing faith in Christ will fall away from the true faith. Many will depart from true faith in Christ. Verse 10, many will fall away. They're going to apostatize. The uh, idea there is that they are not true believers. They aren't people that are actually born again. Okay? When you think of the church in the United States, there are some interesting studies about how many people are actually, actually born again. And some of those statistics, some of those studies go as low as 5% of professing believers are actually people that are born again. How do you come up with that? How do you know? Well, there are people that do it. I obviously don't know. But I think it's fair to say that there is, in America, a lot of professing Christians that if persecution would ever hit America, aren't going to be entering the church door or standing up for the defense of the gospel. Many will fall away. B, those who fall away from the true faith will deliver the faithful over to the persecutors and betray one another. Those who fall away from the true faith will hate those who remain faithful to the faith and hate one another. Now, we were just in 1 John this morning, and we found out that if anyone hates their brother, then they aren't really regenerate. They're not really born again. They haven't had a work of the Spirit done in their hearts and lives. 
Before the end of the age, there will be many false prophets who will be successful in drawing many to themselves. And many false prophets will arise. Verse 11, and lead many astray. Before the end comes, sinlessness will abound, resulting in many losing fervor in their love for God and each other. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Okay, there's going to be uh, apathy. There's going to be indifference. What is unique about this period of time is that usually persecution is a time that fires the church up. Usually when persecution comes, it's a time in which the, the church is motivated. And oftentimes the gospel spreads, etc. But what is unique about this is that even though there is persecution and all these other things happening, that even among the faithful, that uh, love will grow cold. And it says because lawlessness will abound, because, because sinfulness will increase. Sinfulness, and again, if you will, I think the root of sinfulness is selfishness. When selfishness increases dramatically, it creates coldness towards others. It creates indifference. It creates what is being described here. Before the end comes, there will still be a faithful remnant who will be saved. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So I gave you that verse because when you look at the word saved, Greek word uh, soteria, uh, it means its, its heart, its root is to be delivered. And you always have to say, delivered from what? In what way is the word saved being used? We can talk about being delivered from sin. We we talk about being delivered from persecution. We can talk about being delivered. If you look at verse 13, then you look at verse 22, uh, it seems as though it's talking about the fact that there's going to be a a group of people that are going to be preserved uh, through this. Not saying that, that not everyone is going to uh, well, saying that not everyone is going to die for their faith, not saying that some won't, but not everyone will. Romans 8.35-38 through 38 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just say to you that though we don't know all the events, we know that God is faithful and we know that God will give us his grace for whatever it is that we are going to face, whatever it is that we're going to have to go through. Uh, And God gives us that grace at the time. Whether that be the death of a loved one, God gives us peace that passes understanding. When we're going through a circumstance, we look at other people and say, I wonder how they can go through it. Well, God gives them grace. God gives us that grace. We don't feel it now. We don't need it now. But when the time comes that we need that grace of the Holy Spirit, he will give it to us. Number nine. 
Before the end comes, the gospel will be preached to all ethnic groups. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Nations there are not geographical boundaries as we think of nations like United States and Russia, uh, but rather people groups. So as we read in the book of Revelation, people from every tongue and tribe and uh, people and, and nation, every ethnic group, every, every tongue. Okay? The gospel is going to spread throughout the entire world. I think that's what is meant by 2 Peter 3, 2, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How can you hasten the time of God's return? How can that make any sense at all? What does that mean? How can you hurry up Christ's return? The only way that I can make sense of that is that it's associated with this statement that the gospel is going to preach, be preached throughout the entire world. As we faithfully proclaim the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, as that is spread, we're getting closer uh, to the time of the Lord's return. The more diligent we are in that work, it appears the sooner Christ will come. Then will come the end. And then the end will come. That's the first section. But before the end comes, the true Christ will have come. Then will appear a sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 4. Jesus said, answer them, see that no one leads you astray, for many come in my name saying. That is the bookend. Okay, Many are going to come and say, I am the Christ. The end won't come until Christ returns. So then the next logical question is, well, how do you know when Christ returned? How do you know that he is the true Messiah? How do you know so that you're not going to be deceived? How do you know that Jesus is Jesus and that Sun Young Moon is not Jesus? How do you know that? That's the next section. That's what we'll look at next Sunday night. How do you know Christ is the true Christ when he returns? And uh, that's really the purpose of this prophetic portion of Scripture, identifying how do you know that the Christ really is the Christ so that we aren't led astray. That is the first section of Matthew chapter 24. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, help us in the study of this portion of your word. Uh, Give us wisdom and also uh, give us restraint. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to simply look at what you have to say to us and help us to be aware that there are going to be many, many false Christs, false prophets, people saying that they are the Christ, but that doesn't mean the end is here yet. Give us wisdom, discernment. Help us as we work through this passage, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, and you are dismissed.